Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Welcome back to the Holler Hour. Tuesdays, Thursdays, 2 p.m. We got a nifty new background that Cassie made. <laughs> Share the link if you would. Check out all the other hollers at we're at the TN Holler. There's also all these other hollers across the state made possible by your generosity and support. Chip in 10 bucks a month or more and get one of these sweet hats we're wearing. We really do appreciate it. Go to tnholler.com to support and oh okay there we go to support us uh <clears throat> hope everybody's doing all right in this slow moving clown coup that we're currently <laughs> witnessing uh we're gonna go through some stuff today just to kind of bring everybody up to speed and then in a few minutes we're gonna be joined by rep john ray clemens who has thrown his hat in the ring for caucus chair for the house democrats so he'll explain to us hopefully what that actually means and entails and what the caucus chair actually does and then hear what he thinks needs to happen differently for the party since you know the truth is the democrats didn't do that well here in tennessee this time around things are moving a little bit bluer but they could could be a little bit better right cassie yeah yeah i mean i just i just keep saying that like you know, progress takes a long time. Like it's, uh, we're not, we didn't regress at all. We gained, you know, Heidi Campbell's seat. And then we also got Don, John DeBerry out because he wasn't a true Democrat anyway. Um, so, you know, we, we did have some, some gains, but we were expecting a lot more. And so, and I think that just having a really strong party infrastructure, like Democratic Party infrastructure here in Tennessee would do a lot to help that. So hopefully, you know, I, I like John Ray a lot. And so as, caucus chair, you know, I'm excited to hear what he has to say about that. And that'll also lead into, um, you know, we've got the TNDP chair race coming up as well. So we'll be yeah. talking a lot about that. Yeah. Those are two races definitely to keep an eye on. I think Vincent Dixie is also interested in the caucus chair role. And then right. for, the, for the party chair, there's been a bunch of different people throwing their hats in the ring. I think we might actually have some sort of event on the holler to try to figure out what's what. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, just been an absolute disaster to watch <laughs> Tennessee Republicans, including Governor Lee, refuse to acknowledge that the election is over and that uh, Joe Biden is our next is president elect. It's been really a disappointment, not at all a surprise. Oh, that's the mass mandate one. Never mind. He's disappointing us so many different ways. Lots of levels. <laughs> hard to even keep up. This is the graphic we made of <laughs> Governor Lee, right. the Atlanta Republican, saying it's not clear yet what the outcome is. Then, of course, there's Senator Bill Haggerty doing the same thing. Lack of transparency and irregularities during the election are a cause of concern, says mm. Dockers wearing Bill Haggerty. And then there's, of course, Marsha Blackburn saying, it's a shame that we have to fight for a fair election and the greatest democracy in the world has ever known, but we do. And of and course- we don't. She's not wrong. Like we I have mean, to yeah. fight for democracy from sure. her. Like sure. <laughs> from people like her. Sure, we have to fight for- exactly. We have to fight against <laughs> her for democracy. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, meanwhile, she was then asked about it in person 
by a CBS reporter, which was really fun to watch her get bird dogged in Washington. This is her, I guess, <laughs> yesterday or today. Have you spoken to Vice President Biden yet? Uh, he won the election? Up, oh, deaf ears. Marsha Blackburn, deaf ears. Didn't hear the second part. Oh, apparently only heard the first part. And, you know, she can't answer it because there's no good answer to that. The pretentious uh, walk, too. Oh, like, yeah, holding up. What is she holding? Like... Coffee, water? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, you know, they're making all these claims, obviously. But, you know, let's let's go ahead and talk about what they are and, and how full of shit they are, frankly. Uh, here's one. This was what Trump was saying about Dominion deleted 2.7 million Trump votes. That's a software that he's talking about, actually. And he's he's getting this from OANN, which from is O-A-N-N. his new favorite network, OANN, because Fox <laughs> News is too, I guess, moderate and centrist for him. But before the truth he starts, is that before he ha- starts like competing with it. Right, right. He's gonna apparently take them on. But that is not at all what happened. And yeah. you know, we we've since learned the New York Times went and looked into all of that. Dominion did not delete votes, that didn't happen. Uh, another one that they make, another claim that they make is that Nevada, they had 3,000 cases of fraud. It turns out those were actually military families and not cases of fraud that they're even pr- saying in court. Here's one about Pennsylvania disputed ballots. In court, his lawyer is saying, are you claiming that these are fraudulent? And the lawyer is saying no. So in court, they're saying one thing. Outside of court, they're saying something completely different. And, you know, it just it just shows that they don't actually mean any of this. And so what is really going on here? Right. And I think it's pretty clear what's going on here. A few things. But, you know, they're trying to delegitimize Biden. But also this is a grift. The longer this goes on, the more fundraising emails they can send and the more they can pocket that money. And donations under eight thousand dollars to this election defense fund are actually going right into the pockets of Trump. And the RNC and anything under $8,000 you send these people, you're just sending for him to pay off his debt. That's what mm-hmm. you're doing. So, and, and the people that are condoning this behavior are contributing to, to that grift. And it's a grift. We've seen yeah. the New York times headline said ele- election officials nationwide find no fraud. Here's Eric Trump saying, po- posting a link of burning ballots. And then a city actually had to respond to the city <laughs> of Virginia beach said those were sample ballots. So none of it is real. It's all bullshit. And these people should be ashamed of themselves for contributing to it. And, and, you know, they say, what's the end game? I think everybody's a little bit afraid that there is an end game and that the end game is getting the state legislature in these states to challenge the result and have this thing end up in the Supreme Court, whereby they would throw out the result and appoint their own electors and elect Trump, but I don't think any serious people believe that that would happen. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's definitely one of the routes. I think it, at least in, you know, my, uh, just from what I've read about this, that, that that is one of the things that could potentially happen. But I think there's also like, I think that at this point, it's pretty unlikely that it like very, very, very unlikely that it would end up in the Supreme Court. And then there's this other option where, because um, like, you know, like if it, if it did end up in any sort of court like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin would be one of the state, you know, it would be up to some of those state legislatures and they're just not, 
you know, conf- I, I don't think that there would be, first of all, they don't have any grounds. And second, like the, there's yeah, too much of a, a they, deficit to make up. And then the other option is that it somehow gets knocked into Congress with like Mike Pence presiding over some like ridiculous scenario. But I, I don't think any of that is going to happen. Yeah, I don't like think that's like a long, either. long, long, long shot. I agree. I think it's a grift. I think it's like, it definitely is delegitimizing our democracy. Like this doesn't bode well for the future, for future transitions, um, just in terms of like, you know, having that transition right. of power that is a, you know, I, I, you know, you can go back and forth on norms, but that's a norm that I think is really important. Yeah. So, and it would be one thing if they had some evidence and some grounds, but they just don't. I mean, more. They don't. They're getting laughed out of court. You know, they're, they're, he's 0 for 12 in court. Anyway, but the problem is if this ever did depend on state legislators, uh, you know, we've seen in our state legislature here in Tennessee that, you know, you can never go broke betting on them putting themselves first and, you know, doing the wrong thing. So right. you know, let's bring in someone who deals with that uh, way too much. And uh, Rep. John Ray Clemens, how are you, sir? Hey, brother. How you doing? We're good. We're just trying to make sense of everything here. You know, I, I guess my first question to you would be, what do you think the Tennessee state let Republicans would do if they were faced <laughs> with the choice of having to put the country first or assigning their own electors and throwing out an election? Do you think they would do the right thing? Well, I mean, that's kind of a question, <laughs> right? I, they're going to do what is ever in their best interest and is going to help them get reelected. That's their first consideration every time. I, they've shown time and time again that what is in the best interest of their constituents or the people of Tennessee is never their first priority. I mean, we can start with Medicaid expansion and work our way on down, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us here. I know you just came out of, of something that you were doing, but you know, I guess the question or what I would want to hear you talk about a little bit is, first of all, what does a caucus chair do? Yeah, well, the caucus chair is actually the one that pretty much runs the, the caucus. We call the meetings. We organize all the meetings of the caucus. We strategize, we schedule, um, you know, pretty much everything. I, you know, we have the, the minority leader and traditionally the minority leader has been kind of literally the floor leader, the head of kind of the policy side and the caucus chairman traditionally has been the uh, political side. So you have policy side, political side and all the campaigns, all the fundraising for the caucus, protection of member seats, try to gain new seats, communication strategy, you name it caucus chairman uh, controls or should generally control all of that. And like, you know, I know I'm not expecting you to speak ill of Mike or anything like that, but just what's your pitch to, you know, the caucus saying like, here's what I think we need to start doing differently. You know, what, what is, what are the ideas that, that you're bringing? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Mike's not running again. So right. my, my <laughs> he, I'm not speaking ill of Mike or anybody in the past who's done anything. We've, we've really benefited from some tremendous leadership in our caucus over the years. Mike's one of the smartest people you'll meet. He's done a great job representing his district in the state of Tennessee. Uh, one of the, just, you know, one of the best guys you'll ever meet. We've had leader Craig Fitzhugh uh, was in leadership. We've had uh, Mike Turner, uh, was caucus chairman before Mike Stewart. I mean, we've had a series of decades of great leadership. What we what we need to do now is really modernize our campaign model and modernize how we do things. I, a lot of respects, we do things uh, for better or worse, the same as the caucus was doing them. Uh, when I was political director at the state party back in 2003, our caucus is doing some of the same things we were doing then. And I think it's just a matter of thinking about things differently, approaching them differently. 
Uh, we need to have a better communication strategy. There is a huge swath of people across the Tennessee to whom we are not speaking uh, or we're not communicating to them well. We're, we're, we, we care about the issues they care about. Our priorities are the people of Tennessee's priorities. But for some reason, that's not translated. So we must do a better job uh, from the communication strategy standpoint of really speaking to all Tennesseans and finding that uh, line. We got to, you know, there, the reality is, if you look at the Brookings Institution um, report that just came out with the political economic breakdown between urban and uh, suburban and rural areas, you know, there, there are a lot of challenges facing us in the state of Tennessee, but we have a great opportunity. I, I think the, the, our challenges uh, present us with great opportunity. That, that I think we have a tremendous opportunity to really move this thing forward, take the next step. You know, we got to remember, you know, it's hard for people to complain about the fact that we haven't picked up seats or we didn't pick up a seat in the state house this year. I mean, I think, you know, if if some factors had been different, if we'd done things a little bit different, you know, I would say there were a couple in play. Um, but COVID had a lot to say about that. And just, you know, our some of our candidates' unwillingness to go door to door versus versus their candidates' willingness to go door to door. That made a difference. So do you, is, is part of like when you talk about modernization, yeah. is part of that like a more of a focus on digital rather than, you know, uh, 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 mailers or is it not that simple? Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a lot of things. I, I'm one of these guys who has really trended away from mail and focused more on digital. I, I think, you know, with mail, you're going to spend a lot of money to touch a, touch a lot of people, um, but you're going to get about three seconds from the mailbox to the trash can where digital, you can you, you know spend some more money more strategically targeted, micro-targeted those populations and really speak to them in a more personal manner than just the front and back of a piece of paper. Um, so, I, you know, that's one aspect of it. I think modernization with regards to building data and, and improving our data sets and our voter file, uh, we're way behind. You know, you look at Republicans. Just to take from since 2002, Republicans have had three statewide candidates every time, you know, there's a statewide election up every cycle. And they've been building that data, 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 data every year. We've had, what, three serious candidates until this year. We have had and two of those were in 2018. One was in 2006. So we've lost the opportunity. I mean, it takes statewide legitimate races to build the data necessary to really hone in. I mean, I think if you're running a Republican campaign, if you're one of these Republican strategists, you know what the outcome of most elections is going to be, given to take a few points just because your data is so good. And we're not there. We've got to do a better job of that. We need to work with the state party in that respect, the DLCC and the um, and, the, and the DNC, and, and make sure that we're building that relationship and cleaning up that data to, to move this the, the party the party forward in the state of Tennessee. But again, all this stuff needs to fit together. You have to be communicating well. You have to be fundraising. You have, and then you have to use the data that you have effectively, um, and then pair that with you know your traditional campaigning, your retail politics, your your field game, all these things. It, it, it's all combined, work together. And I will say, you know, I've been working in and around uh, Tennessee politics since 1999 in an official or uh, similarly official capacity. And so I know this state pretty well. I've seen it change. I've read the writing on the wall, told the caucus back in, uh, me and several others told the caucus back in 2003 that it was going to change. Some of them didn't want to hear it and didn't believe us, but uh, unfortunately we were proven right. But I've been in all 95 counties in the last six years alone. I've been in 44 counties um, because I always vowed. I, it always ticked me off when um, 
people would get elected to office and kind of kick the ladder out from under them, or they would forget who brought them to the dance. And so I always vowed that I, if I ever got elected, I would help build the parties. I would help county parties if they needed a, if they needed help, if they needed somebody to come out there for free and help them raise money in any respect or do whatever that I would do it. And so I've, 44 counties have taken me up on that offer, some of them multiple times in the last six years since I got elected. And I've been more than happy to do it. So I've built up the relationships, got the network. Uh, I know all the local office holders in most of these counties. And uh, so we've got a bench out there. There are Democratic um, local office holders who would be incredible state candidates. Uh, right. And building that bench. That's, we, we talk about that sometimes, Cassie, is the bench building part of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the roles that see, that Mike seems to have embraced, and I have no doubt that you would too, is you know you, you end up being the the one that breathes fire at the governor on behalf of of the caucus and the Democrats. I mean, you all do that, and you do it already. But you it's know, my favorite pastime. So. I know it is your favorite pastime. So, <laughs> He's such you know, a I, I'm going to give you a chance. Is to- the single yes. worst governor we have had in <laughs> my lifetime. I mean, he makes Sunquist look like a, a you know a brilliant saint <laughs> of of um, policy. I, this guy, it, there is there is no strength to him, and in the polls, no. where where Trump is incredibly popular approval ratings in counties, Bill Lee is in the basement. I mean, he's in the cellar below the basement, and so. You know, the guy has he's done nothing impressive and he continues to disappoint. And what, you know, what are some of, specifics? Let's rattle off some specifics that you are upset about him with with him about. Well, let's I mean, we can start with his number one agenda item coming into office with vouchers. I mean, yeah. there is no more toxic issue than vouchers in the state of Tennessee. And that's his biggest claim to education success a bill that's been deemed unconstitutional. Then he wants to, then he's gone and criminalized um, access to reproductive health care services, even in cases of rape and incest. Uh, You know, these people of Tennessee don't agree with that. And, you know, you look at, let's take the handling of the coronavirus. You want to talk about incompetency. I still, I'm sitting here looking at my computer screen next to me here on my other monitor. I've got a hundred emails from the last two days alone, people who applied for unemployment, three months ago, still don't have their check. And the, the, the program's already expired. Now, you know, I've said it numerous times. I understood the high volume at the beginning of this coronavirus and dealing with the high volume of unemployment cases. That would take anybody for six weeks, update the software, man, you know, get the manpower to turn those around. But this is November. Yeah. This started in March. I mean, this they continue to completely fail at every turn. And this governor, I mean, he is just, I've never seen a more vulnerable uh, governor halfway through his first term in office than this governor, despite the fact that he's a Republican. The people of Tennessee just are not buying what he's selling. You know, and then another example is Medicaid expansion. He continues to tote this party line and just talk about how cool it is to travel around or talk to the president on the phone. Like, of course, he's going to talk to him. (laughs) You're the governor of one of the reddest states in the country from an electoral map standpoint. And, you know, that's what he's all excited about rather than figuring out how to get people food on the table or how to, you know, improve the public schools. And he's cutting teacher pay rates. I mean, I can go on and on. You, well, what, what just, just to bring it to, you know, current events, what did you think of his, uh, first of all, saying that mask mandates won't work despite the White House calling for it? You know, he seems to be doing nothing. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, and doing nothing is his strategy. I mean, look, you, the people of Tennessee, we all should have seen this coming. You remember he had he, he's the only 
candidate I've ever seen that had no platform when he ran for office. His, yeah. He literally, from the primary until election day, he just had no platform. There was no, he would talk about different issues, but there was no substantive platform. And he was so just he, like a nice guy. There, yeah, everybody says, oh, but he's, but he's so nice. Right. Well, you don't want to talk about an overrated characteristic. How about we elect somebody who's kind and who's caring and, you know, and empathetic? Nice. I mean, give me a break. This guy is not nice. He, nothing he's doing is nice to teachers. Yeah. Nothing he's doing is nice to the vulnerable people across this state who are catching COVID and becoming hospitalized. I mean, I've got a relative in a hospital right now with COVID. Um, it, it's it, nothing he's doing is nice. What he's doing is is damaging the reputation of the state. Meanwhile, he's in a you know bragging about being in a deer stand to try to you know make some political. Uh, point. It, it's it, it's a joke. He's making a mockery of the entire office. Uh, his own legislators up here don't take him seriously. Uh, they'll tell you behind closed doors what a joke he is to them. Um, it's just, it continues to disappoint. But just to answer your question, I, yeah. yes, the caucus chairman um, is, is responsible for really taking some some uh, some shots at leadership and the government. Um <laughs> But, uh, I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of things we can't do, obviously, because we're legislators and we have to work together. Um, so there's lines we can't cross. And that's where the party has to pick up the ball and do it in a strategic manner or others outside of that. You know, we we don't go so far. And I, I generally don't try to make it um, a rule of thumb is you don't want to ever be personal. It's fair to hit on policy or missteps and things like that. But we, we, we don't we don't go personal on it. Do you don't, I don't, not that you have any inside knowledge of this, but you know, from where you're sitting, obviously everybody's big concern right now is, you know, can this election be overturned? Do you feel like this is just a clown show or is there a real threat here? Uh, I mean, <laughs> clown shows or, or which, both, or both. It's a sham to grift money out of Republicans. I mean, that's all it is. It's, you know, he's raising money out there. Everybody, the big question was, well, how's, Trump going to afford to do anything? Well, we should have known he was going to use his base and use some ridiculous accusations to raise money. What is it like? Everything under eight thousand dollars is paying yes. exactly it, right. You know, it's just one big grift, and it has been since two thousand sixteen. That it's yeah. it's the most it's one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen out of the leader of the free world. Um, that just continues to and continues to snowball. And, you know, a, a lot of people are disappointed and they're like, oh, well, why don't U.S. senators or Marsha Blackburn or even Lamar, you know, who's not even running for re-election, which makes even less sense. But, you know, they have potential political blowback if they come out against the president or, you know, speak ill of him. So there's a, you know, a little bitty piece that like, OK, well, I understand that. But then you've got these guys down here at the state legislature, state senators who Donald Trump's never heard of and never going to give a second thought to, you know, jumping on the bandwagon and putting a letter together. You know, they have no exposure. They have no there is nothing holding them back from saying, let's do the right thing here. Let's concede the election. Let's move down the field and work together, you know, united for the benefit of Tennessee's working families. Um, but instead, they're going the complete opposite direction. Um, you know, I, I give them a little while. A lot of them are going to be running for the first time in the last 20 years as soon as. Donald Trump really everything starts to surface about what happened in behind the closed doors of his administration. I suspect they're all going to be running the opposite direction as fast as they can. Um, I hope so. Uh, I would hope so too. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Trump yeah. is 
the Trump polls well, but I, I just think over time, I don't, I don't, I don't think history is going to be kind. Right. Though. I mean, he's he's yeah, been a New York City con man since the beginning, and they've fallen under his spell. And you know, as he sort of fades into the background, which I, I hope he will, I, I think you're right. They're it's going to be like them waking up from a bad dream, and you know, what have I done, kind of thing. But they've showed us who they really are. As we move towards this legislative session, and we'll get you out of here on this, like, what are the priorities for the Dan? Like, what are we to expect? In the coming session, obviously, I think vouchers is going to resurface. What are the threats, the biggest threats? I, I, every time we hear the legislators sure is back in session, that feels like a threat. So <laughs> what, what, what are the threats this time? Well, I, I think the biggest threat we need to be prepared for is redistricting. You want to talk about a bare knuckle prize fight. Redistricting is going to be brutal. And we have, mm. we have not, um, Democrats, we have to look ourselves in the mirror. We have not earned the right to even be in the room uh, when the lines are drawn. They've got the supermajority still. Um, we should have spent the last 10 years trying to at least break the supermajority in the House. So our leverage is limited. Um, what can you do? That, well, get creative. Yeah. And that's what I plan on doing. And in, and having a legal background and a legal understanding is uh, is a benefit of mine um, compared to some other people running for chairman, I think. And um, and not being afraid to do what's necessary to try to hold on. You know, I, I think we have some advantages. Um, you know, they've got to please 73 members. That's one of their biggest weaknesses who want to make, you know, eliminate as much blue from their own districts as possible. Um They've got uh, the business community of Nashville, for instance. You know, they talk about chopping up Nashville four different ways or whatever. Um, I can tell you that businessmen and women in this city, red or blue, Democrat, Republican, whatever, do not want to deal with two, three, four congressmen. They want one congressman to deal with in Washington, D.C., in this city. So, you know, you've got to take the political. They're going to try to gerrymander Cooper out of his seat. Is that what you think is coming? Well, it's always possible. They, they could have done it in wow. 2001. They can do it now. I think our biggest, um, one of the biggest considerations will have to be to them is decide whether or not they want to pick a fight with the entire business community of Nashville, Tennessee, which mm-hmm. can't be in any, uh, you know, Speaker Sexton surely doesn't want to do that. Um, he's looking at running for governor in four years or so, I hear, um, or six years rather. Um, and then all of them, I mean, what incentive would they have to really um, disappoint or make some of their donors in the city mad? The business community of this city, generally, regardless of party, will rally together uh, in pretty overwhelming numbers and push back um, if they try to slice and dice this thing, I think. And I hope they do, because, you know, nobody wants to deal with multiple congressmen from one city. Um, and that, mm-hmm. well, that, it that seems like maybe the good news is that it's, <clears throat> the good news is that we're already so gerrymandered. It's like, what can they really do? <laughs> you know. Well, uh, well, they can do a lot. Let me tell yeah. you. They'll put me in. You know, they could put me in anybody else's district who's in office. They can combine our districts. They can do um, anything. You know, they can't go outside of county lines. I don't think here in Nashville, but they can certainly move these lines around and and create headaches for a lot of people. And and they can do a lot with these others. You know, we've we've had a good opportunity and to say, let's say. You know, there's five competitive seats out there. They can do what it takes to make those less competitive. And they can um, put a lot of blue seats together in one district and make make them real. You know, they can get creative um, and the, the software exists to do it. What did what were some of the worst changes that they made 10 years ago? And how does that relate to what could be changed this time? Well, I mean, 
what didn't they do? I mean, it was, I, I, to this day, I can't understand why the party or the caucus didn't sue them 10 years ago. Um, I, I'll never understand that. Um, and I know that these, my colleagues across the aisle in the legislature, their goal is if, if they don't get sued, they think they did it wrong. Um, and for some reason they didn't get sued last time. You look at, you can look at Senator Yarbrough's district in Nashville. You look at Senator Dickerson's district. They drew specifically to elect him. Um, you, they took an entire district in Shelby County and moved it to Knox County. Um, they, they, you know, just to mess with some people, combined two representatives district in Hamilton County, which they can do. Um, it's uh, they can they can get really really nasty if they want to play that game, and uh, it takes very little creativity to do it with the software that exists. Gotcha. Well, that's frightening. It definitely feels like one of the things that went under discussed in this past election. I don't think a lot of people even know what that is and what that threat is. I don't think there's any real argument against fair districting, which is something mm-hmm. that doesn't get talked about enough. And yeah. you know, I think other states have actually considered that, but we really haven't here. Yeah. Uh, you know, John Tanner used to be a big advocate for independent redistricting, even when Democrats were in charge. And I've mm-hmm. maybe Senator Yarbrough and others have introduced legislation at that end here, but of course, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. It, right. it has to be the party in power that wants to do these things. And, you know, but then there's the flip side of, well, you start to look like, you know, the puppy dog. If every time we get in there, we do the right thing. And every time they get in there, they don't, you know. Um, but I, I think if if nothing else, this past four years has shown us how much weakness there is in the system and, you know, where things need to change. It's been like a litmus, not a litmus test, but a stress test, I guess, for the mm-hmm. system. And if we can survive it, maybe in some ways it did us a favor. Uh just as a final thing, you know, what is a pitch to people who I think Democrats, the, the D brand has problems in Tennessee. Like, are there some quick things that you think people could be talking about differently or saying differently to help adjust how people view Democrats in Tennessee? I know that's a longer conversation, but everybody seems to have their take on that. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot. I mean, we can start with any number of things, but it's it, like I said, all of our priorities, healthcare, education, jobs. I mean, Democrats, those are our issues. Those are the things that we lead on and do the most work on, but yet we're not, that's not being communicated and, and we're not breaking through into everyday Tennesseans, mostly in rural Tennessee about those issues. And so we need to do a better job of communicating differently and speaking the language of those areas. And I think a big part of that is, is really just making sure that we're doing strong party building, building in the counties and all 95 counties to make sure that any misinformation, disinformation, you know, misleading stuff is combated um, to correct the record. And that we are out there, uh, you know, showing our face, telling what we're doing and, and how we're trying to do it to improve their quality of life. Because the reality is, you know, is the you guys do an incredible job and you feel and Justin, I remember before you started the holler and with others that there's a huge communications void out there that it was basically people were relying on syndicated stories from Nashville and what their representatives were telling them to their face, which often wasn't true. Right. Um, and so it's really just bridging that gap and getting out there and communicating what's being done, how it's being done and why it's being done. And we must do a better job of that. And it's, it's disappointing to me having grown up in rural Tennessee on a farm to see people who I've, 
you know, uh, grew up with um, just had this completely distorted view of what Democrats are all about and what we're up here trying to do to improve mm-hmm. the quality of life. Um, it's just, I, I, it's I have really a pitch for you. We have a pitch for you. We, we talked about this yesterday and I, I feel like there's one issue that kind of isn't stressed <laughs> enough <laughs> that could sort of tie a lot of this together and crosses party lines. It crosses class lines it crosses color lines let me, let me guess. yes you guess marijuana yes <laughs> yes yeah. no like, you're absolutely right i mean i think just just you know looking at it as a revitalization of rural tennessee the money that it would bring in the freedom aspect of it like it just feels like really owning that it mm-hmm. could tie a lot of this together hands down and it's a perfect example you know sherry jones carried uh legalization bill for decades before Republicans even thought about it. They thought she was crazy. Um, and, you know, it, I have a whiteboard of policy in my office and, medical, and and legalization is at the top of the list because it bridges everybody. Um, and it is a huge, you know, for years, my family grew, uh, raised tobacco. And of course, tobacco has gone uh, and their cash crops are really diminished and so we have an opportunity to address mental health issues. We have an opportunity to build up rural Tennessee, save family farms. I mean, you can go down the line and it is a win-win, not to mention the revenue for, and, for and, yeah. and the other part. The revenue is great. And the other part of it is, and look, Mississippi, you know, they just voted for it. Like, it's, Yeah, Montana. But, then, but the other thing is, you know, on both sides of this, there are one issue voters that will come across for that. Oh, yeah. You know, people really care. It's like the gun thing. Like people really care about that. And, but then on, the, on the flip side, I don't think there are one issue voters who are against it. Yeah. You know, like people, people are much more passionate for it than against it. Oh yeah. Overwhelmingly. And it pulls through the roof. I mean, and, and that's yeah. why you started to see. That's why Dickerson ran on it. Yeah. Rush, so heavily. Tried to have tried to co-op it a lot. Yeah. in Tennessee. But you know, it's interesting and I get a lot of pushback on this because I always pushed back against Dickerson and those guys bill because what they're trying to do in typical Republican fashion is create a monopoly for two or three oh. distributors. And so instead of yeah, that, it can't be a Trojan horse like that. It cannot be right. something you're going to create RJ Reynolds no. or whatever out of no. um, it needs to be something that benefits family farmers and right. you have a, and people you know, of color who have been hurt by this, you know, everybody has to have ownership. And if it's you really- start creating a monopoly like they wanted to, and that was my big pushback and people yeah. said, yeah. You know, and, and I, it was a risk for me to talk negatively about the bill because everybody's so in favor of it. I mean, it's literally uh, the, one of the most popular things in the state. And, um, and, and, and you know, but it, I have a real problem with creating a monopoly or mm-hmm. like that. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Other states are doing this. No. Learning curve for us. We just need to adopt a system that fits for Tennessee and will benefit the most people possible. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it, I, I, it's a win, win, win. That's, 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 that's my, our, our pitch is center, center that like not just one thing among many, like that is a thing that I think Democrats need to own in this state. And, you know, at this point, like, what do we got to lose? <laughs> we're no, going to be pushing is, weed here at the holler. Yes. We're pushing there that. Is. That's our thing now. Yeah. Let me put it this way. I, I'm not just some stoner saying that I haven't smoked. <laughs> In a very long time, it's, sure, not, sure. it's not my personal preference anymore. It, once upon a time, but I just think there's enough. There's enough benefits 
you know, there's yeah. like, there's medical benefits, mental health benefits. We're an opioid ravaged state. This yep. is a, an alternative that really helps military people. It helps with PTSD. Like this is something that really crosses a lot of, of lines. And, you know, I, I would just, I would love to see you guys wrap your arms around it. Since we have yeah, an expanded Medicaid, like for pain management and treatment, even yeah. like, obviously yeah. we need to do that, but I know we're not, we're not, we're not trying to sell you anything anyway. you, you don't already believe, but yeah, no, that, I mean, that's the at the top of our list and has to be a center point. And that's one of those things where Republicans kind of called onto it and they try to co-opt the issue and right. you know, mm-hmm. let Dickerson do the lead on it because some of them were still so iffy about it. But I'm telling you, you I've sat down, if, if everything else aside, I've sat down with enough veterans who've returned from war or active yes. duty who have that right just there. sing the praises of this, that alone that should, should be it. Move the needle. Absolutely. But it's that and so much more, you know, on the um, where I hear right after Veterans Day. And so um, I think that's one of those things that you can't discount. You just sit down and talk to them and talk about they talk about what a difference it's made in their life to the extent they've been able to benefit from it. And that alone should should move the needle for everyone. Well, that's our, we're going to leave you on that note. We appreciate what you're doing. We'll be watching the, you know, when is the caucus vote? December 7th. December 7th. All right. So, and it's you and Vincent Dixie right now are the only two, right? So far we're the only ones in the race and, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's, um, friendly, a friendly race. You know, we're all on the same side here. Yeah. Who has the the vision to move us forward and, and get this thing going in the right direction. All right. Well, yeah. good luck in that and uh, come back and see us sometime. And and thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, of course. You call on me anytime. All right. Thanks, thanks sir. All right. There's John Ray. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to be pushing that because we're going to be the weed party. Here we're going to become the weed, the weed guys, because I, and it's not, again, it's not because I just want to be able to smoke it. I won't even smoke it. Although that would happen. be funny to, for sure, us to go live, that would be funny. Blazed. <laughs> live blaze sessions, but no, it's really about, you know, redefining what it means to be a Democrat in Tennessee. I don't think people Mm -hmm. associate Democrats with that issue and they should. And that issue is one that people are really passionate about. And, you know, it's one that I think can move the needle in a lot of different directions, which, you know, they got to be thinking differently. Like we've been talking about Medicaid expansion for as long as I've been aware of, of things and it hasn't worked necessarily. So, you know, I think that has to be a part of it. And obviously it's the right thing to do. But, right. you know, there needs to be something else that Democrats are really centering. And that feels like a winner. Yeah. And I think that it would like help with a generational shift, too. Right. Like it would. It, and it, and also just like in terms of branding, like not only is it a popular issue, but it's also like, you know, like kind of a, a younger, cooler issue, I guess, for people. So it's like yeah. I think that it would not only be not only does it pull really well, but it's also just like in terms of rebranding, probably a really good issue to center. And it's also an issue that exposes people like, okay, mm-hmm. if you're against it, why are you against it? Right. Uh, is, is, is the prison lobby giving you money? Yes, they probably are. Is big <laughs> pharma you giving you money? Yes, they probably are. You know, like the reasons for being against legalizing marijuana are not ideological anymore. You know, mm-hmm. this is, this is a money thing. And yeah. like, that is why it hasn't moved. And so, you know, I, I think picking that fight, with them would be a good thing to do. Like for instance, I've seen William Lamberth get asked about that in interviews mm-hmm. and I'll, I will, we should post that interview of him. Cause I'm always down to rip William Lamberth, but he talks oh, yeah. about it and he doesn't 
ever acknowledge that he gets money from core civic when he talks about that right. stuff. you know we're not for decriminalization but oh by the way we're getting paid by the people who benefit from locking people up like that's absurd so right. you know it's just a way to really expose people and i think it's something that they should do i see some comments here leland says a stoner party base <laughs> maybe eat up with the munchies rather than voting that's a fair point that's you a can fair multitask point. i mean we, we should I don't be able know. to multitask <laughs> and uh, and then I see Travis saying, I was in the Marines for nine years, but I'm called a commie. Who knew? Just have to keep doing the right thing. Who I knew? That's true. Yeah. Travis, appreciate you for making that sacrifice. And then we're going to end on this. Flo is saying, if you haven't signed up to support the holler, make the monthly commitment. We did not put her up to that, but thank you, Flo. You're absolutely right. Every little bit helps. There are places, we have hollers across the state. There are a couple places that I'd love to be. By January, mm -hmm. by the time the next session rolls around, we'd love to have one in Clarksville and Murray County or the next two. We actually had one pop up in Crossville. So check that out. And then we have them all over the state. Uh, I'm just trying to see if we missed anything. Oh, this is one thing I just wanted to mention. This is a Rutherford County School Board member. Oh my God. Somebody sent us this, Tammy Lynn Sharp. This is a 2015 post of her saying, get your kids out of public schools. The Supreme Court gave gays a no-holds-barred ticket to our children, bared ticket to our children. The worst indoctrination will be at the hands of gay teachers. This will never be restricted. She is currently a school board member and her brother for County can do something about that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that the folks down there can take that and run with it because she should not be near a school board or a school with a 10 foot pole. No, that is just disgusting. Really, really ugly. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. The ACA looks like it might survive that challenge. So yeah. that's some good news. And then yep. just to end it on, this is Mike Rogers. He was on the Intelligence Committee. He's a re former Republican representative saying, our adversaries aren't waiting for the transition to take place. He should be getting the president's daily briefing to know what the latest threats are. So basically, just pointing out that this petulant tantrum is actually putting our country at risk. And totally. we need to fix that. Tuesdays, Thursdays, 2 p.m. We'll be back. Join us next week. Thank you, everybody. Thanks.